So, good morning everyone again. My name is Ant, and I'm going to preach this morning. So, um, if you've got your Bibles, please look at uh, the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, the few guys, if you'd like to go up, that's great. And uh, just to set the context of what we're going to do this morning, for those of you that are visiting, we're doing a series out of the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're looking at what Mark has to say about Jesus. And uh, to introduce this, I said that each of the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they call the Synoptic Gospels because they each paint a portrait of Jesus. And we, as we see all three of those Gospels together, we get a full picture of who Jesus is. And we're kind of looking at two main themes through the series. One, who is Jesus? And I mean that in a personal way. Who's Jesus to you? Uh, is he the Messiah? Or is he just another good guy? Is he a moral teacher? Is he Savior to you? Is he Lord to you? And that's only a question you can ask, answer for yourself. And uh, so we're looking at that one, that one question, who is Jesus? And then secondly, what do we do with the good news of Jesus? How are we taking that and how are we applying that to our own lives? Is it transforming our own life, first of all? And then out of that is through our life is the good news of Jesus transforming others that we love. And so the, those are the two big themes that we're kind of looking at as we study the gospel together. But if you go to the next slide, you, you'll see I just put up this, um, uh, this is a sculpture of, of uh, someone's kind of idea of who Jesus is. And I just found it a particularly beautiful sculpture. But to, just to remind us that this is a portrait. Mark's writing is a portrait. He's trying to paint a picture for us of who Jesus is. All right, and so now we get to our scripture that we're going to look at this morning, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And it simply says this. It says, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. But just to refresh your memory, set the context from last week, and particularly for those that are visiting. Last week, we had a look at the battle that Jesus had in the desert, where he was faced with temptation. And the same Holy Spirit that had been poured out upon Jesus... Uh, when he was baptized, and those amazing words of affirmation from God the Father saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, that same spirit sends Jesus out into the desert where he has to overcome temptation from the devil so that he can fulfill the call of God for his own life and choose God's way for his life. And so I said to you that often in our own lives, we find ourselves in a similar place. We're in a desert place. We're in a place where we feel like we're alone, and we're trying to hear God, and it's often in that place that we have to overcome some things on the inside of us so that we can unlock the call of God for our own lives. And I said to you, each of us, if we have a call of God, and each of us do have a call in our lives in some way, that in the desert place where we are alone, where we have to hear God from ourselves, that's where we understand what God is calling us to, and we can make decisions so that we can fulfill the call of God for our own lives, and we live at, at a higher level of glory for Him in our own lives. And so I concluded last week and just said 
that becoming a disciple of Jesus, becoming someone who follows Christ in one way is quite easy because it's all by faith. And the Bible says all we need to do is believe by faith the generous gift that God has given us completely for free. We don't deserve it. We, don't, we can't earn it. It's a lavish gift of His grace in our lives that transforms us. That's the easy part, right? But we live in a world that doesn't appreciate grace, that doesn't love kindness, that doesn't applaud those things or welcome those things. And so to live that out is a difficult thing. So we have this, we have this amazing tension where we receive by grace all that God has given us as a free gift, but to live out kindness and compassion and, and goodness in the world is difficult. But it's possible by the Holy Spirit. All right? And that's what I said to you, uh, concluding last week, that it's more important to um, obey the will of God for our lives and be motivated by that call on our lives rather than our feelings, because our feelings go up and down, and being motivated by what we feel is not a firm foundation for your life. Can I just say that again? Being motivated by what you feel is not a good foundation for your life, because day to day you feel different things. And you can't base your life around what you feel. There has to be a revelation on the inside of yourself of who God is for you. And on that foundation, you can build your life, regardless of what you feel. Because one day you will feel close to Him. One, the next day you'll feel far from Him. You can't build around that. You have to build on the firm foundation of the Word of God in your life. And so do I. And so... Now let's get to our scripture this morning. And it's, it's interesting to notice that um, we don't read any more about John the baptizer, who actually is the one who introduces uh, Jesus to us, until chapter 6 of Mark. And if you, if you want to read ahead, please do that. And we hear about Mark's tragic death. Remember, he's beheaded. And uh, it's almost as if Jesus is restrained from preaching until John is removed from the scene. And so here we see that John is removed from the scene. And the first thing we see in the scripture this morning uh, the next point, please, is that we read that Jesus came into Galilee, all right? He grew up in a little town called Nazareth, and now it says he came into Galilee. And I want to point out some, just some things as a background here. In Jesus' time, the reality was that Gam Galilee wasn't just some quiet little place. Nazareth was a quiet little place where he was born. But Galilee was a, as a center of political and commercial life. It was a crossroads where nations went through the Middle East. And so if you know some history, in the ancient world, there were armies that went through um, the province of Galilee. There were traders. There were diplomats that moved throughout that region. And uh, some of the greatest battles in the ancient world took place in Galilee. And so it was thoroughly cosmopolitan. There were Greeks. There were Hebrews. There were Aramaic-speaking people. There were Jews, Syrians, Phoenicians, Romans, all together in this half of activity, this, this commercial place of, 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 of life. And so my point is that Jesus didn't start his ministry in some quiet little place. He started his ministry where the people were. He started his ministry where he could reach different people of different nations and different cultures and that place was Galilee. It was active. It was vibrant. It was alive. That's the first thing we read. Jesus comes from the quiet place of Nazareth into the thriving, this thriving commercial center of Galilee. All right? Secondly, we read this. It says, He came saying, The time is fulfilled. And here's this, we sang, sang about the sovereignty of God this morning in, in, our, in our worship time. And here's a statement of the sovereignty of God. 
The time is fulfilled. It is the right time. That's what the scripture is saying. The time is at hand. And I want to think you to think this morning in your own life, there are some moments that are more important than others. There are some moments that are sovereign, the sovereign God speaking to you, and He wants you to respond in that moment to the call of God for your life. It's the same for Jesus here. The time is fulfilled. The time is right. It is now that I need to start ministering. What is God saying to you in your life? Have you heard Him speak? He's got a call for you. And when He speaks to you, part of the, 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 the response is to respond to that call of the God because it's a sovereign call for your life. And I want to encourage you that you keep your, your ear open and your ear open, to the Holy, your ear open to the Holy Spirit so you can hear the whisper of God when He says to you, my son, my daughter, now's the time. I want you to do this and that you hear the sovereign call for your own life. And so here is one of those moments for Jesus, the moment for Jesus. After centuries of prophecy that we looked at over the weeks, Jesus preparing himself in Nazareth for 30 years, it's now he's announcing the critical moment for his own life and for his own ministry. It's come. It is fulfilled. It is now. I am about to embark upon it. Do you hear this sovereign statement? And, in a, and Jesus is also saying, what is he saying? It's a, it's a very specific thing. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It is now. It is here. Do you see it? Can you perceive it? And the word here simply means the kingly rule of God. It's not talking about a geographical space as a kingdom, you know, like the Romans had an empire. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the sovereign reign of Jesus, of the kingdom, is at hand. The rule of God is here. And so, as we read further in, in, in Mark, you're going to see that Jesus demonstrates through his life in what way God is sovereign. He demonstrates that God is sovereign over creation. He demonstrates that God is sovereign over disease. He, demonstrate that God, he demonstrates that God can do the miraculous in the miracles that he does. And so, through his life, he demonstrates the sovereignty of God and exactly how God is sovereign in our universe. That's the story of Mark. I see I'm spitting here. This, I can see these little flecks go. I apologize. <laughs> and so Jesus is saying this kingdom has started, and it's starting with me. It's starting with my ministry. And in a sense, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus, and it's still coming. It's still not completely fulfilled. It will complete, be completely fulfilled when Jesus comes again. And the kingdom has come in our lives and is still coming in our lives. And we are all being transformed from one degree of glory to another so that we can become like Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And thirdly, I'd like you to notice this. Do you notice, uh, I said Mark's language is urgent. It's always it's got a pace to it. Do you notice the urgency in what he says? He says, the kingdom is now. It is at hand. It is here. And there's a wonderful scripture in Mark, which I love, uh, in, uh, in Mark 13. Um, it says this, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, its leaves you know that the summer is here. Isn't that beautiful? You know that the summer is here. In other words, this is, the point is it's very simple. As you see tender shoots coming in, in, in a fig tree, you know that the next thing that is coming is the summer. And so what, is Jesus, what can we learn about Jesus' ministry out of that, that um, scripture? It's simply saying that 
as Jesus has come, he's come to confront Satan, disease, death, and all those things are little buds, little signals to us that the summer, the kingdom is coming in its fullness. And we can see it demonstrated like new buds come onto a fig tree. We can see it demonstrated through the miracles. We can see it demonstrated through his, his, his authority over nature. The kingdom is coming and it is initiated in the life and ministry of Jesus. Amen. It's coming. The fullness of the kingdom is coming. And then there's this thing of don't delay. Don't wait. The time is now. Can you see it? You can participate in God's kingdom with joy. Jesus is calling you right now to make a decision for him so that you can enjoy the fullness of his kingdom. And his kingdom is righteousness. His kingdom is peace. His kingdom is joy. How many of us in this room don't want righteousness, peace, and joy? No one? Yes, and what's the point? The point is saying, Jesus is saying, you can have righteousness, peace, and joy right now. You don't have to put it off. Repent, believe in who I am and who I say I am, and instantly you can be beginning to enjoy those things in your life. My kingdom is righteousness. My kingdom is peace. My kingdom is joy. Are you with me? So it's a radical summons to us. Do you notice this? Fourth, Jesus comes speaking and preaching a very old sermon. You know, we live in a world that says new is always good, you know? The new thing, new, new, new phone, new this, new that, new, new, new app. It's all, the new things are good, and the old things are a little bit boring. Well, Jesus comes preaching a very old sermon, a very old message that people had preached right throughout the Old Testament, from Noah and all the way through the Bible. The pattern of his preaching is in alignment with those that have come before him, and it simply is this. Change, repent, don't stay the same. Can you see what God is doing? The kingdom is coming. Will you respond now? Will you see that for your own life? Repent and believe. And it's, in, uh, it's interesting to me because uh, what does Paul say? Paul preaches in the same way. And when he is in the Ephesian church in Acts 20, he says this. He says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was helpful. And teach, uh, I, was, I taught you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks. What did he testify about? Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul preaches the same message. This is the precedent for his preaching. It's the precedent for anyone who preaches the gospel. Our message is quite simple. We all need to re be, repent, be converted, be born again, whatever your language is. Because if we want to see the kingdom of God, we have to change our mind first. Can't keep on thinking like the rest of the world. We can't keep on valuing the things that the world values because that's not God's kingdom. And so the first point is change. The first point is repentance, changing our minds, changing our worldview to reflect the worldview of God and His kingdom. And then we begin to live it out. Amen. And so this is the message of the gospel, that uh, the repentance takes deep root in us and that we begin to live out our lives as we are transformed from the inside. And so I'd like to just um, summarize these great words for you in the message of Jesus. And they are all here in these verses. I'm going to look at these, these, these uh, six words in the next 20 minutes. The first word I want to look at is good news. See, Jesus has come to announce to us good news. It's an announcement. 
it's not good advice. Jesus' message is not, oh, my friend, I want you to just change that little thing in your life, and then your life will be better. It's not about advising us. It's not about clever suggestions to our lives. Jesus comes to bring us good news. It's an announcement. The word is evangelon. The word is, translates as the gospel. And as we, we track that through the New Testament, we can see it, it means a number of things, this good news. First of all, it's good news of truth. This good news that we have is about truth. This message that you want to share through your life, it's about truth. The Galatians 2.5, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the gospel of truth might be preserved for you. Paul is saying there's this message that needs to be preserved in all of our lives. It's about truth. We can know truth. You know, people in the ancient world, they didn't believe that they could know truth. They, even Job says, when he's crying out to God, he says, Oh God, that I might know you. It's like somehow God is unknowable. But here, I want to give you a little, I hope you'll find this interesting. I put up a picture of a guy called Marcus Aurelius. Anyone heard that name? Anyone heard of the movie Gladiator? Yes, one of my favorite movies. Bump, 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 bump. That's a great theme in that whole movie, isn't it? So he asked who Marcus Aurelius was. He was a real person, and uh, he lived about 200 years after, uh, between 160 and 180 AD, he reigned as an emperor. He was a good emperor. We know about all the bad emperors, don't we? We know about Augustus, who was an emperor when Jesus was alive. We know about Caligula, who was a completely immoral man. We know about Nero, who was a completely immoral man that reigned where Jesus, just after Jesus, and he beheaded Paul and Peter. So we know about those guys. But there were some good emperors, and um, there's some other emperors that you might have heard of, like Trajan and Hadrian. And the last in the line of, of those emperors was Marcus Aurelius. And um, he's a very important guy because not only was he a great emperor, but he was also known for his philosophy. And if you read philosophy today, you will learn about Marcus Aurelius. You can read what he wrote. He was a Stoic philosopher. So what is my point? Why am I saying all of this stuff? Well, Stoics taught this. They taught that actually emotion was, unless it was controlled, it was a very negative thing in your life. And you needed to control your emotions so that you could make sound judgments. So Stoics never got too excited, and they never got too depressed. The whole thing about stoicism is that you must keep an even emotional keel in your life because if you can do that, you're going to make good decisions. And in a large extent, that is true. Now, I want to say to you that much of our English culture is quite stoical. Why do I say that? Because all over London, what do you see on coffee cups and on, and on little posters all over London? Keep calm and carry on. Isn't that true? It's quite stoical. It's like, and what is the other thing in our culture? You keep a stiff upper lip and you carry on. It's quite stoical. And now that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a bad thing. But you see, this is not what the good news says, the good news of Jesus. You see, the good news of Jesus liberates you to something completely higher than that. Why do I say that? Because we read about in Acts, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And they're behind the bars. And they're in jail. And what does it say? It doesn't say they said to each other, 
Silas, keep a, st a stiff upper lip, old boy. Let's just get through this. It doesn't say this. That, what does it say? It says, Paul and Silas, we're singing hymns to the God of all glory behind the bars. While they were in prison, while they were trapped in prison, they weren't just being stoical. There was a liberty and a freedom on the inside of them that enabled them to sing even while they were behind bars. That's the difference between stoicism and the gospel of Jesus. When you are going through a hard time, when you feel like you are in prison, you don't just have to grin and bear it. You can sing. That's the difference. That's what Jesus does on the inside of you. Right. If you're visiting this morning, I do get loud, all right? And I'm not angry. I just get loud. I'm trying to keep the mic away from my mouth so it doesn't, doesn't frighten people. But what does the Scripture say? It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of every kind. That's not stoical. It's not just grin and bear it. You're going through a whole time. Grin and bear it. No, the gospel liberates us to something much higher. Count it all joy. You can find joy even in the midst of the difficult things because the living Christ, the risen Christ, is on the inside of you. And Marcus Aurelius had uh, this phrase that became known in his day, and you might, you might still, uh, he, he, he kind of introduced this phrase. He said, he said this, Our souls can only see things dimly like we see when we look through water. Have you heard that expression? You, you can't see, it's, it's like things are quite... You can see something of it, but you can't quite see the whole truth. It's like you're looking into the water, and you can see the boat, but it's kind of, it's obscured. You can't see it plainly. That's quite common in our day as well, isn't it? Still very, we can't quite know the truth. You can know some things about the truth, but actually you can't know the truth completely. Our, our culture likes to think like that. But the gospel says we can see clearly who God is because we can see clearly in Christ Jesus exactly who God is. And exactly what he's like and what he loves and what he hates and, and what he wants to do in our lives. We can see clearly who God is. Not through the glass darkly. Not through just the water that we can't see. We can see the shadow of him. We can know him and see him completely. This is the good news. So I want to say to you this morning, if you don't know truth in your life, you can know truth in your life. Not in an obscure way. Not in a way that you're still grasping after and saying, I can't, can't quite get it. You can get it completely in the person of Jesus perfectly. You can know truth, and truth can set you free. This is what the gospel says. Secondly, this good news, it's about hope. Young people, I want to say to you, there's still hope for the world. Despite climate change, despite all the protests going on, which I think are excellent, we must be doing this, we must be changing our planet, I absolutely agree. But there is great hope for the future. This is the good news of gospel. Why? Colossians 1.23, remember our study a couple of weeks ago. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Our gospel is a gospel for hopeless people to say there is hope for your life. There's hope in Christ. There's a future for you. Despite your background, whatever you've gone through, whether you've suffered abuse, whether you've suffered immeasurable suffering in your life, there's still hope for you in Christ. There's hope for all of us in Jesus. This is good news. This is what we announce. And the ancient world in which Paul lived and Jesus lived was essentially pessimistic. 
Many felt that the struggle between evil and good, that humanity had been defeated, and, and we, we were just kind of existing in this, in this universe where uh, evil was overcoming good. Well, the coming of Jesus transforms and changes everything. And in Christ, there's hope for the hopeless. There's hope in our culture that is hopeless, that is fighting about all sorts of stuff. There are, there's a hope and a future for every single person that puts their faith in Christ. Maybe you've stopped dreaming, dreaming for your life. Maybe there's some pain in your, in, your, in your history that you just can't overcome, and you think that thing is going to drag me down for the rest of my life. It's an anchor on my soul. It pulls me down into depression. I want to tell you there's hope for you. Hope for the hopeless. This is the good news of Jesus. Thirdly, it's good news of peace. You notice that? Peace. Our world is crying out for peace. So many levels. Ephesians 6.15 says this, And as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Our gospel is a gospel of peace. You know what the problem is? You and I, we are born into a world that is fallen, and we ourselves are by nature born into a world that is fallen. And what is that, what, what, what do I mean by that? It means that we all have a split personality. What do I mean by that? Well, how many of you know that you are capable of great kindness, great compassion, and love for others, and you are motivated by those things sometimes, and at other times, you can be incredibly selfish and cruel to other people? Anyone say, like me, yes, I can see that in my own life? We are capable of both of those things, aren't we? We can love, we can do good, we can be kind, we can be compassionate, and at the same time, we can be incredibly cruel, vindictive, and unkind to people. Why is that? Because we have a split personality. Because we're born into a world of sin. And the good news of Jesus is that He's unified our disintegrated personality in Him. And we become a new creation. And everything changes, and we start to value life and, 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 and everything in a different way. Why? Because we have inwardly peace with Him. And because we have peace with Him, we can have peace with ourselves. And the internal wrestling is not so much anymore, and He begins to transform that. And because we have that peace with inside of us, we can begin to have peace with people around us. No longer split, living in a unified way. This is what the gospel does in our lives. This is why it's called good news. This is why the message is good news. And so we can find victory by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, because we can have this peace within ourselves and because of what Christ has done, and then we can have peace with each other. Fourthly, I said I've got six things. I'm on number four. We've still got a little bit of time. It's a good, the, the, this good news of... of um, Jesus is about God's promises. It's good news of God's promises. Ephesians 3, 6 says this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You know, many people think that God is angry, that God is angry with them, and He's being threatening towards them, and He wants to destroy them. That's, many people have this, this picture of God. 
And they seldom think of God as God who has infinite promises and wonderful promises for their lives that He wants them to live in, that His kindness is towards them, that He, that he has these incredible things that He wants to bless our lives with. And the Scripture says in, in Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes and amen for your life. The promises of God are true for you, and He wants to speak them over your life, that He loves you, that you're His son, that you're His daughter, that He has a future for you. And I want you to see that that's what God wants to speak over you. His gospel is good news of the promises of God for your life. And every one of them is good. Every one of them gives you hope and a future. Fifthly, this good news. This good news of immortality. I put something up on Instagram the other day. It simply says this, death doesn't have the final answer. Resurrection does. That's what we believe. We believe in the resurrection. There is immortality for us in a glorified body when Jesus comes again and we will be raised with a glorified body to be with him. That's the Christian message. 2 Timothy 1.10 says this, speaking about the grace of God, which has now been manifest through appearing of our Savior Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, ancient cultures like what Jesus uh, uh, would have lived in, they believed that life was just a road that led to death. And you know, in, in Greek culture, there was the river Styx, wasn't there? And you had to cross over the river into death, into the netherworld, into the underworld. Life led to death. Well, the Christian gospel says exactly the opposite. It says death leads to eternal life. Death is the doorway, the gateway to glory. And so we don't have to fear it. We don't have to get anxious about dying. Why? Because we'll see him face to face. And we enter through it, it, in, into eternal life because of the resurrection of Christ. Death is just the doorway to eternal life. That's what we've got to look forward to. We've got to look forward to living forever with him face to face. Number six, it's good news of salvation. <laughs> Ephesians 1.13. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here's the good news about salvation. It's not just saving us from our sin and the penalty of our sin. It's rescuing us from that sin, but it's also empowering us to live a victorious life. That's what salvation is. It's saying no to sin, but it's saying yes to the life of Christ, and it's saying, yes, I can live to those things. I can say no to these things in order that I can live for these things. That's the power of salvation. I used to be bound up by alcohol or whatever it was, and now I can say no to that, and I can now live in a different way for Him. I used to be bound up with anger and unforgiveness, and hatred toward other people. Perhaps, perhaps you, you grew up like I did in a country that didn't uh, treat all people with different uh, um, races equally. There was a fundamental, fundamental liking of people of the same color and disliking of people of a different color. It was written into the, the, the culture. You can say no to that and say yes that we, to we are one in Christ. 
There's no slave, no free, no black, no white, no Chinese, no European, but all are one in Christ. My friends, that is good news for this nation. That is good news for our world. That's what we need. It's good news of salvation. Two other words I just want to look at quickly. What does Jesus say after he talks about this good news? He says, repent. And uh, I just want to say this quickly about repentance. You know the word is metanoia. You've probably heard that before, which literally means change your mind. But sometimes we confuse two things. We, we confuse sorrow for the consequence of sin and sin itself. And this is what I mean. Lots of people are sorry for the mess that sin gets them into. <laughs> They're sorry for the mess. They really regret the mess. But actually, if, you, if we ask honestly, probably they would repeat the sin if they didn't get caught out. Yeah? So we don't like the consequences of sin. But actually, you know, if we could get away with it, we'd do it again. So what I'm trying to say is repentance is not just that. Repentance is not just being sorry for the consequences of your bad actions. It's actually learning to hate what initiated that. It's saying, I want to hate the sin, not just the consequence of the sin. I want to turn from that thing that caused me to do that in the first place, and I want to love God and His Word and His way. That's the difference. So metanoia is saying, I'm changing my mind, not just so that I don't get caught out anymore, <laughs> but that I learn to live with a different motivation that is the motivation of Christ in my life, that I learn to love. Not that I you know, just get caught out when I don't love people, and I'm embarrassed about that, but I genuinely learn to love from the heart. Okay. Then Jesus says after that, he simply says, believe. Believe. Believe the good news simply means that we take Jesus at his word. To believe that he, he is who he says he is. To believe that God is kind. To believe that God is our Father. And to believe that God is exactly like what Jesus told us he is like. It, it means, to believe Jesus means that God so loved the world that he did make any sacrifice to bring us back to himself. And that sacrifice was willingly giving us his son, who he loved with eternal love. And he chose to be separated, and he gave his son that we might learn to know him as father. You might say, that's, just such a, that's so unlikely. How can it possibly true, be possibly true? And the good news of, of, of the gospel says, it is true because God is true, and Jesus is true, and he's asking us to believe this incredible thing that he has gifted us with. That's what it means. To believe God and to believe Jesus is to take him at his word and to say, yes, I believe what you're saying is true. The kingdom is at hand. Do you see it? Can you perceive it? Repent, change your mind, and believe. Do you notice? It's always God that initiates. And I want to conclude with this. The basis of Jesus saying that we need to come to repentance of faith is the announcement to us that God has already initiated to bring the kingdom near to us. It's like the veil is here. It's closed. We just have to open, and we can see the kingdom is right at hand. 
It's right upon us. And we simply don't initiate anything. We simply respond to him and say, yes, I believe. I believe what you've said is true. And so, my, my friends, my, my challenge to you is that's the basic challenge for your life. Monday to Sunday, when you go to your doctor's room tomorrow, when you go to your student's room tomorrow, when you go to your difficult situation in your work, where you're faced with all sorts of challenges, that's the basic question. God has done this for me. It's true. How am I going to respond to Him now in the basic routine of my life and live out what I know is true? There's the basic challenge for all of us, for you and for me. And how are we going to respond to Him at every level of our lives as we live Sunday to Saturday? How's it going to change our lives? What is this good news going to do to transform the difficult situations that you and I face in all different areas of our lives as we live and work for Him? What are you going to do? There's good news. How are you going to respond? How's how's it going to transform you? And what are you going to do about Jesus? We're going to break bread now as a family. I want to invite you, if you're here this morning and you love Christ and you know Him, you're welcome to join us. It's a time for believers to celebrate. And I want, you, I want to ask prayerfully that you consider those questions that I've, I've, I've tried to raise this morning as we've looked at this portion. Who is Jesus to you? What difference is He making to your life? What do you need to adjust to bring repentance in some areas of your life so that you can fully embrace the kingdom that He has for you? There's hope, joy, peace, a future for you in Christ Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, perhaps you don't know Jesus, and I want to ask you, I want to invite you. I'm going to stay here, and if you want to talk a little bit more, I'll talk with you a little bit more. We can talk now as the other people are breaking bread. I'd love to have some conversation with you and t- tell you about what Jesus has done for me. So if you'd like to have that conversation, come and chat. And the rest of us, we're going to, break bread together. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do that. All right, so we're going to break bread. There's a table here, and there, and one at the back. Three tables. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for the good news that was proclaimed, that Jesus came preaching into, into Galilee, saying, the kingdom is at hand. It's here. Repent and believe the good news. And Jesus, we want to learn to live that out this amazing message that's transformed our lives. And as we break bread this morning, we remind ourselves of ultimately you responding to that call in Galilee, you responding and saying the time is at hand, ultimately led you to the cross, led you to die, led you to suffer, led you to be raised from the dead so that we might have life with our Father. And so we want to remind ourselves of that. And we thank you for these symbols of your body, and that you took bread after the supper in the upper room, and you took the bread and broke it, and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you pointed ahead to what was going to happen, and you took the cup after the supper, and you said, this is my blood poured out for your sin, the forgiveness of your sin. Eat and drink in memory of me. And so, Lord, as we eat and drink this morning, our minds go back to that upper room and what you did 
on that final night. And we want to remind ourselves of the incredible generosity of what you did. We want to remind ourselves of the wonder of what you did. And we want to respond. And we come and say, Jesus, we are so sorry for the things that we've done that have hurt other people, where we've been cruel and vindictive, where we've spoken unkindly. We're sorry, Lord. And we know that as we eat now and drink, our confidence is what, in what you have done, that you no longer see that, that you only see the righteousness of Jesus on our lives because we put our faith in you and our trust in you. And so, Lord, we come to your table with confidence, knowing that as we eat and drink, it's your blood that washes us. It's your blood that takes away our sin. It's your blood that makes sins that are as scarlet, as white as snow. And we rejoice. And so we come humbly, we come gratefully, and we acknowledge all those things. But we come with joy because your grace has changed everything. And so we eat and drink now with humble hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.